Good morning, everybody. Let's stand. You know, uh, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about the new life that we have in Christ. We are changed. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. So let's sing about that this morning. God, we are so grateful to be changed, to be, to be different, to be renewed, to be restored, God, into a relationship with you. And we thank you, God, that we can live a lifestyle of change that looks different from the world, all because of what Jesus has done for us. So let's sing.
God stories, and I have another one to share this morning. Well, let's hear it. You want to hear it? Okay. So here is a praise from one of our members. She said, last Sunday, I put on my prayer card that we would receive a check we had been waiting for for a while. The Tuesday after I put that on my prayer card, my van broke down. We barely made it home, wondering how we were going to pay for the repairs. When we got home, the check was sitting in our mailbox. (laughs) Not only that, it was 50% more than what we were expecting. And the repair ended up being a lot less than we were expecting. But the best part is, I love this part of her story. Before we ever knew there was a problem, God had clearly already provided. That's so good. That's so good. Amen. 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 That's so good. You know, God is always providing for us. He loves taking care of his children. Amen. Amen. Hey, do you want your own God story? Well, the first way, the best way to start is prayer. So, hey, after the service, come get some prayer. Uh, Come ask God to do what only he can do. Uh, And if you have that God story, go ahead and fill it out on that uh, worship card. Or uh, you can uh, fill it out on on our website at gccob.com slash tell. So good. So good. Well, we have a great service planned for you today. Everyone that received a worship guide, you can follow along with the service. In that, um, we are starting a new series today. And... Book of First Kings. You can find a place to take notes in here and on our app. If you didn't know, we have that. Um, you can see some cool events that are upcoming as well. Oh yep, like uh, we've got D Now coming up. 
Uh, D-Now is going to be in April, April 19th through 20th. So parents, go ahead and uh, you can look that up and register at gccob.com slash events. Another great event we have in April is a mother-daughter tea party. So that'll be a Saturday afternoon. It'll be great to invite your friends. Um, they don't have to come to our church. Great outreach event. Um, it'll be super fun. Also, this is great. There's a place on the back of our worship guide if you're new here. So if you want to know a little bit more about us, how you can get it plugged in, that is the place that you will find more information. You know, we, we know that um, it's not easy visiting a place you don't know. And so we want to make sure that you feel comfortable. If this is your first time, you're welcome here. Uh, we, don't, we don't want you to leave empty-handed if this is your first time. So go ahead and stop by the, the You Belong Here kiosk uh, in the lobby, and we've got a gift just for you today. Hey, JC, a few more things. You know that prayer is a really big deal at Great Commission. So I encourage everyone today to receive prayer. Um, you can fill out that welcome card and put a prayer request or a praise on there or hang out at the end of service and receive prayer at the stage. Amen. Well, uh, Great Commission, we've got a treat for you guys. Uh, we have a special guest from Life Choices. Her name is Rachel. So uh, everybody welcome Rachel from Life Choices to the stage. God is good, and um, I'm so thankful to be here. Um, what they said already kind of lines up with uh, what I'm going to say today. One of the, those things being, uh, we're always so glad to be um, at Great Commission. I've, I've already told a couple of my friends here, um, which is wonderful. I have friends here. Um, and so it's amazing uh, for us to be here because we do feel welcome. The ministry feels welcome. Um, but I was just saying that if I could take... Um, the bodies and the souls and the hearts of Great Commission Church and multiply them all over Memphis um, and maybe even um, show a couple of our other church partners how you guys love so well. Um, it would be amazing. And so thank you for what you've already done. And um, there might be a couple new faces in here. So I want to just quickly go over what we do at Life Choices of Memphis. So we are a, first and foremost, a ministry of Jesus Christ. We're a faith-based pregnancy medical center. We offer free pregnancy testing, free ultrasounds, free STI uh, testing and treatment on site. We offer um, in-house post-abortion counseling. We are a licensed adoption agency in the state of Tennessee and Mississippi. And I wanna pause there for a second because you guys, adoption, is is on the rise and that is a huge praise um and 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 what we're seeing is that most of our most of our clients inside our doors they choose to parent right 98 percent of our clients that come through our doors are end up parenting so our adoption clients are women who maybe already thought of a birth plan or they wanted to explore the option of adoption in Tennessee or Mississippi and through a Google search or maybe they're at the hospital and they're giving birth. Um, we're on a list of, um, at the hospitals and um, they call us. That, that woman will call us and she'll say, I'm, I'm in the hospital and I just gave birth and I need to talk to somebody about adoption. And regardless of what day it is, what time it is, um, our birth mother counselor will go to that hospital and sit beside that woman's bed and tell her everything she needs to know, one, about Jesus Christ um, and sharing the gospel with her, but also answering any questions that she might have about adoption. Um, we just had an adoption orientation. Um, if, if, you have, if it's laid on your heart to become an adoptive family, 
reach out to us. Um, like I said, we just had an orientation, but for the first time in many, many years, we actually were short on adoptive families because we were placing babies so quickly. And that's amazing. That's just something that has never happened. And um, I love that, that um, the church is helping change the image of adoption. Um, and it's biblical, you guys, so we should be promoting it um, as, an, as an amazing option. Um, outside on the table, I have a couple um, of these flyers. Pick one up, if you will, because it's going to remind you to pray for us in a specific way. This past year, we instituted abortion pill reversal right in our clinic. We have always been a part of the national network, um, but we decided that with Memphis being um, the city that it is, uh, and we surround the surrounding areas that come to us for care, we have to do, we have to make an impact. 54% of all abortions last year were via the abortion pill. Um, it is dangerous. There is very little medical oversight. And if you listen to the news recently, you have noticed that CVS and Walgreens have both decided to start carrying the abortion pill in-house, and it's available with a prescription. Now, our local stores shouldn't be selling that, but you never know. So that's just something to be aware of and to be praying for, um, because abortion pill reversal, what happens is a woman takes that first part of the abortion pill. I have to stay here. This is good for me, because I'll walk everywhere. Um, the woman takes the first part of the abortion pill. If she can contact our clinic within 72 hours of taking that first pill, our nurses and nurse practitioner can dose her with the appropriate medicine that she needs to save the life of that child. A 65% chance that that baby in the womb who was slated for death within the next 24 to 48 hours will grow healthy. And so these ultrasounds um, are our abortion pill reversal babies. They, their moms came to us, and um, we dosed them with the medicine that we need, and our um, practitioner tells us that these babies are hitting all of their fetal milestones. Their mothers are healthy, and we expect for um, five of the seven WIMP babies that have been that have gone through abortion pill reversal are going to be due this late spring and early summer. And maybe I hope the next time to be back to be updating you with pictures of babies outside of the womb um, that their mothers received abortion pill reversal. So that's something that we're, we're insanely proud of. And we talk about that, um, we talk about that because it's not something um, that a lot of people even know exists. A lot of people didn't even know it was a thing. Um, but it is, and we're doing it, and the cost of abortion pill reversal for one mother is only $107. And I think about the lives of my own children. Would I pay $107 to save their lives? As many times as I could write you a check, I would. Um, and so that is the reason that, we are, that we're doing this program is because it's, it's literally saving lives. We've never been an organization that has been around saying, we save babies because ultimately it is the mother who makes the choice to, to, give, to give life to her child, and it is ultimately Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that does the saving. We are simply conduits for the information to these women. Um, last year we had over 110 women accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and so we're excited about that. Yes. Um, and I kind of listed just a minute ago all of the services that we offer at Life Choices of Memphis, we've added a fatherhood program um, because the, the men that come into these centers with women, 
They need to know how to father well. Fatherlessness is an epidemic crisis in our country, in our state, in our cities. And so we need men who want to, to speak into the lives of these young men who come in with these moms. Um, I've been married for 18 years, y'all, and when I see a young man in the lobby, I could probably go out there and give him a laundry list of things that he needs to do, right? Because that's sometimes what wives do. Um, but that's probably not the way Jesus wants me to minister. Um, and so men minister to men, I think, much better than women can sometimes minister to, to men. So if that's something that's on your heart, get with me, and we'll, we'll schedule you a block of time to come to the clinic and just sit. I can't promise that there'll be any men there, but when there are, it'll be a God-ordained divine appointment, and you can share the, the love of Jesus Christ with him so that he can speak love and truth into his family, into that pregnancy, because we know that women whose partners are with them and vocally say, hey, I'm here for you, and we're going to do this. Abortion is not an option. That woman is far at a, a less risk for choosing abortion um, than, than the counterparts. So that's something that you can get involved in. But, but pray for all of these things, you guys, because we are busy. We are busier than we've ever been. Uh, Roe versus Wade being put back to the courts um, was, an, was an amazing thing, but it has made our job harder, if I'm honest, um, because the abortion pill is now um, the next healthcare epidemic crisis and we have got to speak some truth into this. So we are still doing the work. We still need the help. Um, we uh, are, are going to be the only pregnancy center in the state of Tennessee within the next few years that does not receive government funding. Um, our governor in Tennessee put a large chunk of money into the fiscal budget, um, and that's going directly to pregnancy centers, but we cannot compromise our adoption department um, because we put we put babies into married Christian homes, um, and if we accept government funding, then that has to change. And we are not willing to compromise on biblical principle. Yes. Yes. We believe, thank you. We believe that the work that we do in Jesus Christ's name will come from the funding of Jesus Christ's people and his church. And, um, and when we do this ministry, we cannot give somebody services in the name of Jesus Christ and accept uh, expect Uncle Sam to pick up the tab. We, we have faith. We're stepping out in faith that, um, that even though that this is the choice that we're making for the ministry, um, we know that God will, God will honor that and he will provide more abundantly. Just like his word says, he, he wants to give us lavish love um, and abundantly more. So um, I'm so thankful to be here. Please stop by the table if you have any questions. Um, yeah, so love you guys. Appreciate you guys. And um, to God be the glory. I remember the first Life Choices banquet I attended, and the, uh, on the big screens there at Bellevue were all the listings of the dozens and dozens and dozens of churches that support Life Choices, and our church's name wasn't on there. And I said to myself, by the grace of God, this will be the last time I attend this event, and our church is not a sponsoring church, and our elders and our church uh, brought Life Choices into our missions budget at the time. And so the reason that Life Choices is here is so you could be encouraged. Was that not encouraging? Yes. But also to know that when you give to our church and our missions dollars go out every month, they go to Life Choices as one of the people that we support. Does that make sense? God's the author of life, so God's pro-life. And so we're pro-life, but we also want you to know that, <clears throat> that we're here because Jesus loves women who've had abortions. And... Um, he can help every woman 
whose conscience is beating her up over choices they made in the past, severe regret over, over things like abortion in their life. And I want you to know that Jesus is not running out of grace and love for you. And we're, we're here to help you and not condemn you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We want you to come under the same salvation that he brought us into. So it's Global Offering Sunday. And so our offering <clears throat> uh, emphasis today was Life Choices of Memphis. But the first Sunday of every month is, in our, in our liturgical calendar, a very special day for us. In our church, the, the feedback on this has been overwhelming. Pastor, thank you for our church doing Global Offering Sunday the way we do it. Here's what we're doing on today. This is when we consecrate before God as a church publicly all that we're going to give him this month. We're going to give him a substantial amount of our time. We'll be here on Sundays. We'll be in small groups. We'll be serving the Lord on other days. And we're saying, God, that time that we're investing in the kingdom, we're asking you specifically in prayer today uh, to make it count and make it maximize. We're also going to give a substantial amount of our talents and skills and, and how God has made us unique to his service this month. And so we're saying, God, use our talents and our gifts this month as, as much as you possibly can for your glory and for people to come to Christ. And we're also saying, God, that we're going to give you a substantial part of our treasure, our, our offerings and tithes and, and dollars. We're saying to you, Lord, that you're the one who has given us the ability to get wealth. That's what Proverbs teaches. And so, God, we don't want to waste it. And we don't want it to, to just kind of fizzle out. And so we consecrate this Sunday for the whole month saying as a church publicly, God, take all of these resources and use our weakness and make them strong. And so that's what, that's what this ceremony is about. It's also an opportunity for our members to encourage each other as we financially support our church together. We're going to rise out of our seats and we're going to see the members of our church and, and, and just them coming forward and coming to the back says, hey, I'm in it for the Lord and I'm in it with you. Also, Global Offering Sunday provides a tangible offering experience for everyone who gives digitally because when you give digitally, it is invisible. And the overwhelming majority of the financial gifts that our ministry receives is digital. And so we want to put something tangible on this invisible way we worship God. Let me tell you something I, I say to you every month. I want you to hear it again. When we do Global Offering Sunday, it reinforces to our children that they belong to a family who demonstrates their faith by generosity. Your kids need to see this. Also, it's global because we're asking the Lord to maximize our giving to make disciples and start churches and save women and babies all over the world. And when the sun rose on this day, on about five continents, GCC's missions money was there helping churches get started, pastors being trained, and souls being saved. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring any and all of our financial gifts in one envelope today. And if you give digitally, you bring an empty envelope. It's there in your chair. It just says, hey, this represents how I give to the Lord this month. If you're giving online later in the month, bring this empty envelope. Receive, and here's, here's my favorite part. When you come forward or you come to one of these four lines, receive a prayer of blessing from a godly leader in our church. One of our leaders is going to maybe lay his hand on the shoulder of the husband or the wife and say, Father, something like, in the name of Jesus, would you just bless all the resources that this family is going to give? Give special grace to this family in the month of March. 
And then place your envelope in the container there, whether, it, whether it's empty or full, it doesn't matter. It just belongs to the Lord. And then return to your seat and listen carefully. Pray and meditate quietly until the ceremony ends. And then we're going to sing a praise song together. I think we have a birth celebration too, which is going to be exciting. You guys get today's birth celebration. Don't tell the second service. Is that a deal? <laughs> All right, I'm going to pray now, and all of our uh, godly leaders get in place at your stations while I pray, and then I'll tell you what to do after the prayer is over. Father, I'm so grateful for, for the momentum spiritually that you've given us through Global Offering Sunday. God, it's been, there's been fruit from it that we never imagined. It's been the booster shot that we've needed every month. It has helped families and it has inspired dads and it's encouraged mothers and it's challenged children and God I'm asking you to do it again Lord we're, our gifts are feeble our efforts are uh, lacking our faith God often is small and so Lord we do this one act to say we love you and we need your help to be faithful to you and God make this a great one for every family and for the glory of Jesus, send all these gifts, all of our time, and all of our talent all around the world. In Jesus' name, and a faith-filled church said, Amen. All right, here's how we do it. We're going to stand, and you can go to any line you want. Uh, watch this. If you're standing at the back of a line, and there's a bunch of people in it, and you look up here, and there's like three, just move over there. There's no rules, right? All right, let's stand and serve the Lord together, Global Offering Sunday.
Good morning. So how appropriate that we get to have a birth celebration today on the same day that we had a visit from Life Choices. Um, that was an amazing report, Rachel. Just thank you so much. I was so encouraged by that. Amazing. So I'm Jennifer Jones. I'm on staff here as the Children's Director, and today we're celebrating the birth of Luke Cameron Childs. <laughs> so before we introduce the family, let's refresh our understanding of what a birth celebration means here at GCC. A baby celebration symbolizes the parent's dedication to raise the child in accordance with the teachings of the Lord. It's important to clarify that this celebration does not signify salvation. Rather, it signifies the parent's commitment to guide their child in the ways of the Lord. As the church gathers, we rejoice in new life, and we pledge to support and challenge the parents in their mission to foster discipleship in their home. So ladies and gentlemen, I would like for you to welcome to the GCC family a marvelous creation of our great God, Luke Cameron Childs. So take a look at the screens. And the family, y'all can come forward. introduce to you the Childs family. We are so thankful for them. This is Rachel and Drew, and this is Luke. We also have big brother Corbin, who's not here with us today, and we have baby sister who's on the way. So, so as a gift, we would like to present this Bible to Luke. We pray that he just grows to love God's word and follow it all the days of his life. So if your family or uh, friends of the Childs family have joined us today, would you raise your hand so we can welcome you? Yay. Thank y'all so much for being here. All right, so Rachel and Drew, I have some questions for you that I'm going to ask in front of your church family as a witness. And if you agree, just say, we will, which I think you'll agree. <laughs> All right. Um, will you commit to remembering your marriage covenant and to making your relationship a reflection of Christ and his church? We will. Okay. Will you commit to dis uh, discipling Luke in love as the Lord has commanded in the hope that through obedience to you, he will obey the Lord? We will. Will you commit to demonstrate to Luke the value of God's word as the final authority on all things? We will. Will you commit to praying both for and with Luke? Pleading with the Lord for his salvation. We will. Okay. Will you commit to faithfully and regularly bring Luke to meet with our church family so we can encourage you to do all that you've committed to do today? We will. Okay. All right. Now, church, I have a question for you. If you agree, please answer with, we will. 
Will you labor in prayer with the Childs over Luke and hold them accountable to all that they have committed to do today? We will. Yes. Thank you. All right, so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Childs family and what they mean to us. We're just so thankful that they are a part of our family. We ask that you give grace and wisdom to them as they carry out the responsibilities that they have expressed today. They need your love, your grace, your mercy to be godly parents. They want to obey this calling. And so, Father, we ask that Luke see your son Jesus and his father, and may he teach Luke about your ways and your salvation. And God, we ask that you please let Luke see your love and your grace in his mother. May she be an example of the church in their home. Father, we, the church, pray that you would save Luke at a young age and that he would never walk away from the faith. We ask that he would have a deep desire to follow you and that he would long to live for you. We ask that Luke's life be a reflection of Christ and that he would bring you glory all the days of his life. Amen. Thank you for celebrating with us today. Man, let's stand and sing some more together. Are you thankful for his goodness today?
to you, God. You're so, so good to us. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the Exchange it someday for a crown. God, we know because of that old rugged cross, we are changed. There is joy when we gather, and we can declare your goodness every day. So we praise our King this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. You all can be seated.
Find 1 Kings 17 in your Bibles. It's in the Old Testament. New series begins today, four weeks on the prophet Elijah. I've been anticipating this for months. My name's Trevor Davis. I'm pastor here at GCC. Uh, last week on our Prophetic Ministry Sunday, just a quick update on how the Lord uses that ministry. Jenny Trent uh, gave a prophetic word about a Bible verse, Psalm 51, 12, uh, where David prayed, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uh, four people came forward to Jenny's prayer line saying, I, I need God to restore that, that kind of joy in my life. So it was very encouraging to them. Blair gave a prophetic dream about a man and a cell phone that was ruining his life. And it was about being addicted to your phone and how that can uh, just disrupt your family life. And four people came wanting uh, prayer for being addicted to their phones. The Holy Spirit moved on them. And that's just kind of the way God on Prophetic Ministry Sunday can come and sit right down in the seat next to you and help you in very practical ways. And so we, we rejoice in the ministry of the prophetic here in our church. Uh, I want to start a series on the prophet Elijah that I call it Elijah, a man just like us. And today, I'm only going to preach one verse to you. The very first verse of 1 Kings 17. In his book, Abraham Herschel wrote, to be a prophet is both a distinction and an affliction. So it's good to be a prophet of God, but it also hurts to be a prophet of God. Elijah is no exception. And if you don't know much about this man, let me summarize it a little bit. Elijah was from the desert, and he seemed at times to be fearless and invincible on one hand. But on the other hand, cowardly and weak. Elijah is unique in your Bible. He could run faster than a horse-driven chariot. Kid you not? You can read about it. He's one of only two people in Scripture to be taken to heaven before they tasted death. The other one was a man named Enoch. Other than Jesus, Elijah is the only one who will return to earth before the day of the Lord. Only Elijah and Moses have seen the backside of God as he passed by and lived to tell about it. And if that's not strange enough, Elijah's the only one with an anointing strong enough to call fire down from heaven. So right now you may be thinking, must be cool to be one of God's prophets. But what I want to tell you is that Elijah was also very human. He showed unbalanced emotions. Can you relate? He had moments of doubt followed by moments of delight, just like you and me. Elijah was a walking contradiction. He was a walking contradiction of foresight and blindness, of faith and, and fear, of power and weakness. <laughs> How so, pastor? Well, one day, he killed 850 false prophets. And not long after, he ran away in fear from one woman. He dared to instruct a dying widow to feed him before she fed herself and her son their final meal. That didn't bother him at all. And then years later, that same son died and he raised him from the dead. In a moment of self-pity, Elijah complained 
to God that he was the only one faithful left in Israel. And God immediately had to burst his bubble and say, oh, I've got 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed their knees to Baal. One time, one time Elijah murmured about being hungry, and yet somehow he ate food twice a day delivered to him by this ancient DoorDash called Ravens. <laughs> Elijah was a prophet's prophet. In fact, Elijah stands next to Moses, who was the greatest Old Testament prophet. Well, how, did, how was that, Pastor? Well, it was Moses and Elijah who showed up in a small group meeting to meet with Jesus and Peter and James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, 3. And at that meeting, Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets. And even though Elijah did not write scripture, we couldn't turn to the book of Elijah today. He didn't write scripture like other prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, so forth, Ezekiel. Even though he didn't write scripture, Elijah's impact and his ministry are unforgettable. He holds a place that others don't simply for the fact that he was remembered in your Bible in different times of history. The last two verses of the final book of your Old Testament mentions Elijah the prophet, Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. The angel Gabriel declared that John the Baptist would go forth in the spirit and power of Elijah. Luke 117. When Jesus cried out from the cross in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, the crowd, the bystanders, thought he was calling for Elijah. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 15, verses 34 and 35. So we need to know about this guy, and we're going to spend four Sundays learning about him. What was the heart of Elijah's ministry? I'm going to put it on the screen. I want you to think about it. The crux of Elijah's ministry, the heart of Elijah's ministry is simply that he was a human being who dared to believe that God would use him. I want to know why did Elijah appear in the Bible when he did? The times in which Elijah ministered were some of Israel's most sinful days. They were certainly being governed by the worst king they ever had. Uh, the worst of all of Israel's monarchs was Ahab. We read about him in 1 Kings 16, 30 and 31. Now Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And there were lots of bad guys, lots of stinkers before that. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. It's almost as if Ahab looked at Jeroboam's track record and said, I can beat that. He took a wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, foreign country, and he went and he served Baal and worshipped him. Elijah prophesied to the occult among the worship of demons. And we know that because this is what the mythology of the Baal cult was all about. The word Baal, Baal, means something like Lord, Master, Owner, and, here's the occult part, Possessor. And here's the mythology around Baal. Baal was allegedly the god of the storm and the god of fertility. Fertile grass, fertile women. And he was the god of fertility present in the dew and the rain. 
The absence of rain in the ancient Near East to the Baal worshipers meant the absence of Baal. Their God had left. He had gone for a time. In fact, the mythology said that once every year, Baal had to die under the hand of his ruler, the god Mot, the god death, M-O-T. And every year, Mot had to bring Baal back to life to water the earth again. They believe this stuff. It's what happens when you break the first and second commandments. Elijah's name means my God is Yahweh, which is pretty interesting, right? Like that. And his opening statement to Ahab, our, our singular verse of the day, his opening statement to Ahab tells us some things about his relationship to God. So here's our verse. 1 Kings 17.1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years... <coughs> Accept it, my word. Father, I pray you would take the public reading of Scripture, this one singular verse, and I pray, God, that we would learn its truths, apply them to our lives, and walk with Jesus in power. That's our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. Without introduction, without warning, without explanation, Elijah the prophet just shows up in your Bible right here at this verse. We don't know anything about him, but he just appears out of the blue, just like that. J. Oswald Sanders' quote about this, Elijah appeared at zero hour in Israel's history, like a meteor. He flashed across the inky blackness of Israel's spiritual night. Oh, to write like that. That's the perfect description of what it was like when Elijah appeared. And here's what happened. The prophet in our verse is speaking to the king, and it is not good news. He confronts the wicked king Ahab with a staggering word. There would be not a drop of rain, not even dew on the grass, unless Elijah himself commanded it. That's pretty big time, isn't it? It's as if Elijah's saying, hey, king, I just want you to know, let's get this straight right now. You think you have the most power and authority in Israel, but you do not. That belongs to the Lord God. Here's my proof. Ahab, can you stop the rain? No, because Yahweh can. He's able to lock up the storm clouds for as long as he chooses. And get this, when he tells me, I'll tell you. That's 1 Kings 17.1. Can we agree that's extraordinary? Can we agree that's bold? Can we admit that's a little ridiculous? Can we whisper that it's kind of immodest? I mean, what a shameless prediction. Okay, <laughs> King, I'll let you know when it's going to rain again. How does he have that kind of audacity? Well, why would he think that's true? Not since the days of Moses, had there been anyone like Elijah? And now I want you to put yourself in King Ahab's sandals. Do you think they had ancient chacos? I don't know. Put yourself in his shoes. You just heard a prophet say that his God would soon 
destroy everything by withholding rain. I've been to the desert. I've been to the, I've been to the northwestern Kenyan desert. It hadn't rained there in three years when we went. And the, the guy that was 50 years old that was raised there, he said, never seen anything like this in all my life. Even the camels have left. There's, there's one word Ahab would focus on in that prophecy. There shall not be dew nor rain these years. You know, the, the people of Israel could withstand a drought for a few weeks, no problem. Probably... They could make it through a few months' worth of no rain. The wells don't dry up immediately. The, the runoff from the mountains settle in the natural cisterns in the rock, and it takes a little bit of sunlight to make those evaporate, but no rain for years. That happens, and everything dies or everything leaves. And that means King Ahab no more kingdom. I can just hear him laying his head on his pillow at night, looking at Jezebel going, why did I marry her? And then say, curse this prophet for cursing us. But now I want to look at what he said to the king. He said, as the Lord God of Israel lives. I want you to recognize that phrase for two reasons. First reason I want you to recognize this phrase is it means that Elijah's God is alive and active, which is a direct contrast to Baal, who I told you earlier, they believe he dies every year and Moat has to bring him back to life, and when he does, it rains again. Rainy season, dry season. Elijah's God is the God of Israel who lives. He's, he's not like the God of the deists, who we would call that God an absentee watchmaker. Elijah says God's not a God who made the world and just left it to run on its own. That means that the God of Elijah is on top of things. He's in constant touch and contact with his people day and night. He's, he's always watching his creation. Nothing escapes his notice. Everything that's happening matters to him. He's the God who lives. But the next thing I want you to recognize about that phrase, as the Lord God of Israel lives, friends, Elijah the prophet walks into the king's palace and he speaks at oath level on behalf of his God. As the Lord God of Israel lives, that's oath language. Elijah speaks as God's final word on the subject. He speaks to the king with extraordinary assurance that what he says is right. And the point that he made to King Ahab was that Elijah's words were as reliable as the very existence of God, as the Lord God of Israel lives. It was as literally as dependable as God himself. Let me say it a different way. If God lives, then my word is true. If there is a God, it's not going to rain. The, the reverse of that's also true. If it rains, there is no God in Israel. Now, I want to tell you something. There's a much neglected teaching in the Bible that concerns the difference, the, the difference between God's promise and God's oath. I want you to know it because this text bids you to understand it. What's the difference between God's promise and God's oath? Well, first thing I want to tell you is both of them are guaranteed by God. 
because it is impossible for him to lie. So if he makes a promise, it's true. If he makes an oath, it's even truer. Here's the difference. A promise in the Bible is often conditional. There's an if-then part of it. If you do this, then God promises he will do that, and he'll always do it. If a person obeys, then the promise is fulfilled. Okay, you know this. Probably the best example of this in your Bible that you might know is 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and uh, then I will hear from heaven, and, and I will, how does it go? Then I will hear from heaven, and I will, I will heal their land, I will forgive their sins. If then, if you do it, then I'll make good on my promise. You know, the, the most famous verse in the Bible has it, but the, the words are implied and they're not in the text. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you believe in him, you won't perish, you'll have eternal life. If you don't, you won't. It's condi- God's promises in the Bible are conditioned on our faith and what we do with it. But man... God's oath, completely different. God's oath is a sworn statement. It's carried out without any condition. My brothers and my sisters, when God swears an oath, nothing can stop it from being fulfilled, not your obedience, not your disobedience. Uh, Let me show you a famous one in the Bible, Genesis 22, 16 and 17. This is what God says about Abraham when Abraham was willing and had his, the son of the promise, Isaac, tied to the altar with the blade in the air to sacrifice him. Do you remember this in Genesis 22? God says, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, Abraham, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. Do you see the oath language? By myself, I've sworn. The book of Hebrews comments on that verse, Hebrews 6.13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. You know, when humans make an oath, We always swear by someone greater. You know this, right? We do this to convince others that we're absolutely telling the truth. For example, I swear on my mother's grave. Typically, the president of the United States on inauguration day, when he's not a communist, will put his hand on the Bible and swear by the Bible that he will defend and and protect the Constitution. Yes? Yes. We We all take it seriously. It's an oath. You swear by the greater. Do you understand that Elijah swore by God when he pronounced his oath to Ahab? As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. This verse, 1 Kings 17.1, this was a word that could not be changed even if every Israelite fasted, prayed, repented, and cried for three weeks on end without stopping. The oath's been sworn. It's going to happen. So let me tell you what that means. That means that Elijah did not worry that it might rain and 
he didn't nervously bite his fingernails for the next three years going, man, what have I done? What have I said? Because when God grants the oath, all doubting disappears. That's what Hebrews 6, 16 says. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. All the doubt goes away. When Elijah said to Abraham, it's not going to rain, there's not even going to be dew on the grass for the next three years except at my word, he just went off and said, well, not going to be any rain. God swore the oath, I have nothing to worry about. God's spoken, and I'm just the vehicle carries the word. As the Lord God of Israel lives means that God was behind this prophecy that there would be no more rain. It wasn't really Elijah's word at all. It was an unchangeable and immediate word from heaven. Elijah was just the conduit, the vehicle that brought the word. All right. So, so this man, Elijah, steps on the scene out of nowhere, speaks with a level of authority that seldom appears on earth. He speaks at oath level. Now you, you've seen this. You believe he did. So what? If a preacher doesn't get you to the so what, he didn't finish his sermon. Okay, you convinced me, preacher, that this Elijah is pretty unusual. He spoke with a level of authority not since the days of Moses. Why should I care? Because of what the New Testament says about you and Elijah in the same verse. Here's the application of the message. Landing the plane right now. James 5, 17 and 18. The Lord's brother says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth produced its fruit. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, the new King James says. You know what the NIV says? Elijah was a man just like us. I just described Elijah's exploits to you. Does that sound like you? Are you out running chariots? Are you having ravens bringing food to you twice a day? Are you raising people from the dead? You don't believe this verse. Because it's not in your worldview yet to think that the people in the Bible are not special people and you're a regular person. But what I want you to see from those verses is, if you belong to Jesus, you're the special person. You're not the regular person anymore. You're indwelled by the spirit of the living God. Elijah had a nature just like yours because all God has to use are fallen humans. So I'm calling this series, Elijah Was a Man Like Us. I want you to begin to see what Elijah does and go, you know, God hasn't lost any of his power since the book of 1 Kings happened. What he wants to do in your life is as extraordinary as what he did in Elijah's. Pastor, how was Elijah like us? Well, first of all, he was made of the same substance you and I are. Created out of the dust of the earth, made in the image of God. Elijah put his sandals on the same way you do. He's just a human that believed that God would use him. So you're made of the same stuff. Number two, Elijah lived in an evil day. Well, guess what kind of day you live in? 
You just heard our dear sister, Rachel Davis, the greatest last name in the English language. <laughs> you heard her talking about what God does in the darkness in Memphis and in, in Mississippi and in Tennessee through, through, uh, through the scourge of abortion. We all agree that the Holocaust was bad in Nazi Germany. They killed 7 million. We killed 50 million innocent babies. That's our conservative count. It's worse. We live in an evil day. We live in a day that we are empowering children to say, your mental illness is great. Mutilate your body in light of your mental illness, and we'll, we'll subsidize it with our tax dollars. You live in an evil day. You live in a day where, where people can riot and tear up property, and the government celebrates them. They don't arrest them. You live in an evil day, but... Can, let me just say something for a second, since I'm meddling here. It's, a, it's an election year. I believe what the enemy wants us to do is watch the news and read Twitter and Facebook every day about politics and just get as angry as we can possibly get. Just get as polluted and stained as you can get with worldly... Uh, I, there's not an election that's ever happened in America that saved a soul. And in fact... The church is growing in the fastest numbers we've ever seen on earth in the worst countries you could ever live in. In China and Iran, the Christians are multiplying and, and it can't even be counted right now because it's hard to live there and you have to trust God. You don't have to trust God in America. You can go to church, just sit there and do nothing and be considered a Christian, not live for God in your private life, and everybody uh, um, celebrate you, and no one holds you accountable. It cost you nothing when you were baptized. And our brothers and sisters in closed countries in horrible places cost them everything, and the reward they get is Jesus. The reward Americans get is false convert after false convert after false convert. Because if I held you to the, to the biblical standard and talked to you about it every day of your life, many of you would leave this church. You live in an evil day. Baal is all around you. King Ahab's in office. And, all, and, and the answer's not your vote. The answer is your prayer. So here's what I've determined to do this year. And it's already paying off. Normally, I'm just working on a sermon every week, and on Friday and Saturday, doing the last minute. There are four sermons on my desk already printed out. What, what, what changed? I stopped reading politics and, and started giving all that other time to studying the Bible more for you. I was already studying a whole lot. Now it's just even more. I don't want to be polluted by the world. I'm going to vote on, in all the elections. It's not going to make a difference. I'm going, to, I'm going to preach and witness and minister with you, and that's going to make all the difference. Do you see it? Oh, man, I'm calling the Elijahs up today. So you're made of the same stuff. You live in an evil day. And like Elijah, he knew the same God we know. The Lord God of Israel lived in the Old Testament, and the Lord God of Israel lives in our church. And he lives in our lives. If God could use a man... As human, and Elijah, as human as Elijah, then my brothers and my sisters, there's hope for all of us. That's the point of those verses. Let me say that again. If God could use a man as human as Elijah, and we'll be examining his very humanness the next three weeks, then there's hope 
for all of us. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. About two years into my Christian life, somebody put a book in my hand. It's called Reese Howells, The Intercessor, written by Norman Grubb, telling me about this apostle of prayer almost, this, this stalwart of prayer named Reese Howells from the 1800s. I read that book and I said, if God can use a guy like that, then maybe he can do that in my life. Extraordinary book. Here's one of my favorite quotes from Reese Howells. He said, I'm a perfectly natural man, except when the Holy Ghost comes on me. Elijah, perfectly natural man, except when the Spirit of God came on him. And Jesus said that the Spirit of God will not only be with you, he will be in you. He doesn't have to come on us, he's in us, like he did in the Old Testament. He, Elijah wasn't frightened to stand before an evil, ungodly king. Do you want to know why? Because the fear of God had driven out Elijah's fear of man. You see, he feared God's displeasure far more than he feared Ahab and Jezebel's displeasure. You need to figure out who can hurt you. You need to figure out who has all the power. And Elijah goes, oh, it's not those two people. It's the God before whom I stand. He's the consuming fire. Because of that, Elijah had the spiritual courage that's given only to those who linger in the presence of the living God. And so here's my final word, the bottom line today in this sermon. Since Elijah was a man like us, we're called to become men and women like him. And that's the next three weeks of preaching you're going to get. How can we become men and women who walk with God the way Elijah did? Let's bow for prayer. Father, do your work today. Give our church a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. God, let us be Bible readers and Bible doers. Let us not just be hearers of the word, but be doers also. God, I pray that you would give our church power like Elijah had since he was a man just like us. In Jesus' name, in a faith-filled church said, amen. Amen. Hey, as we're concluding, I think it's a great time to call the prayer ministry team forward. So if you are uh, set up to receive the church for prayer, and I'll tell you what, before you leave receive prayer, you might have came in thinking, I want, I want God to do something in my life. But I know after hearing that message, you're probably thinking, I want God to do something big in my life. So hey, if you just come up, even if it's to say, hey, I want to be used powerfully by God, and they will ask that on your behalf. Uh, it's a great prayer. So prayer ministry team, come, come on up, get stationed. How you want as we're finishing up the service today. Uh, one more reminder to look at this card. There's some next steps at the bottom. Maybe you want to get to know some folks here at the church, or maybe you're thinking, hey, I want the gospel. I need to be saved. If you'd mark that right there, trust Jesus for the first time, that'd be a great way to communicate that. You can drop these in one of these offering buckets at the back there. And hey, if, if you're newer to Great Commission, maybe you've been kicking the tires a little bit, uh, Trevor and Angie would love to meet you. They'll be up by the big map in the lobby. Just go by, introduce yourself, and they would love to shake your hand and, and get to know you. So let me pray for us. Everyone go ahead and stand up. One last prayer as we dismiss. Father, we are grateful in Jesus' name to gather with the saints. 
to do all the things that you've called us to do, to offer up our prayers, to hear your Bible being taught so clearly, God, to give an offering, to worship through music. And God, we're thankful for today. And I pray tomorrow would be a powerful day. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed. Come on forward to receive prayer before you leave. We are in no hurry this morning. May God use you powerfully this week.